Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us on the podcast, Pastor Ariel Rainey. Uh, she's a pastor of International Church in Spain. Her and I come from the same network, same district in the United States. And uh, just when I was thinking, praying about an interview for someone who was serving solo, and she'll talk about that ministry, um, Ariel came to mind. And she has a lot of wisdom and insight, experience. She'll share. She's been she's been doing this uh, living for Jesus overseas for a lot of years. Um, she's served in many different countries. And she's a pastor. She's a lead pastor now. She provides great wisdom and insight. I, I sent her a list of questions, and uh, through the podcast, I, she just she has a lot of great wisdom. So I veered off in different questions to ask her, and uh, she she did well, um, exceptionally well, um, because the, I was peppering her with my inquisitive questions, and uh, yeah, she handled them and. Uh, thoughtful responses, deep responses, rich responses. And it was just a phenomenal time with her on the podcast. And you'll learn a lot in life and leadership. And it was. The focus of the podcast was going to be on serving solo or serving as a single. At the same time, man, the the things she shares are applicable, whether you're single, whether you're married, whatever season of stage of life you're in. Um, very valuable, great insights, and uh, rich, and I really appreciated her being on the podcast with us. Do ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth, get to learn from his his wisdom and insight, his years of um, serving in ministry and experience, and he's just he's just fun to great fun to hang out with and uh, learn from. I really enjoy spending time with Dick and learning from him. So send those questions. My email is in the uh, show notes. You can send me those questions. I curate those, put those together, try to make them correspond with episodes, and then we go go from there. So, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here with a friend today, Ariel Rainey. Ariel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Ariel, um, would you share just a little bit about yourself? We know each other from long back. We come from the same network, um, same general area in the United States, but some of the listeners might not have come from the same place and known you for this long. So can you share a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump into some of the questions I have for you today? Sure. Um, I am single and working with AGWM for almost 30 years now, wow. which seems incredible. I, I can't be that old for one thing. <laughs> um, and I am currently serving as the pastor of the International Church in Madrid, Spain. Um, but in my course of working with AGWM, I've actually been in four different countries. Okay. Um, so I am thankful for that, even though each transition was a little difficult, you know, and when you have yeah. to say goodbye, you leave a part of your heart yeah. in those other places. And I still feel like I left my heart in the first place I served. Wow. Um, but I also know that God has given me this wide breadth of experience. And all of that is what's helping me pastor the international church right now, which I'm like, wow, only God knew that that's how it was all going to come together. Wow. But I am from Baltimore, as you said, we're yeah. from the same network. Um, yeah. And I'm very proud of being from Maryland. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> probably as proud as I am for being from West Virginia. I got that exactly. map behind us. People <laughs> say it looks like a dead turkey squashed on the road, but that's my state. So anyway, uh, <laughs> it's uh, maybe it's that part of the world. Ariel, so 
you said you're serving single and you're pastoring a church. What does it look like to pastor an international church in Madrid? And then we'll get, but let's start with that. And then we'll sure. get to the single part of it. Well, in my case, I didn't come to Spain to pastor the church. It was one of those things where, um, you know, as we serve, other colleagues sometimes shift their roles and, and you know, yeah. those tectonic plates kind of shift underneath you. And all of a sudden yeah. you're asked to do something that wasn't <laughs> on your forecast. Um, and in my case, that happened when I was, you know, in my late 40s. Um, I, I attended the church for the entire time I've lived in Spain, so almost wow. 10 years and um, had been involved in lots of various ministries there. So when we had a, a leadership kind of vacuum, right. they needed somebody, it was easy for them to kind of say, hey, could you take this until we can figure out the next steps? And my initial thought was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm a leader and I've led large ministries. And so I was like, yeah, I can definitely get us through this, this little yeah. moment until yeah. we find the right person, you know? And uh, so I was the interim for about a year and a half. And then um, kind of at that point, it became very clear that God was like, no, you, you are going to stay here. This is this is my plan. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to wrap my head around like, wow. I mean, I worked with um, with uh, Muslims hmm. for 20 years. That's all I did on the field hmm. in all the different countries that I had done. And mostly with more like program development and okay. um, educational opportunities, things like right. that. So it, it was a switch for me. Um, but it's also one that I was like, yeah, God demonstrated his will. And um, I, I love what I'm doing. It, it is a challenge. But I also think I've met, I've met a lot of people who kind of in the midlife is when God changed their, their direction a little bit. And I think it's the best thing that can ever happen to you. I say that for anybody out there who's at that point right now that you're like, God, I've been doing this forever. I know how to yeah. do it. Why are you making me start from zero with something I don't know how to do? But mm. it has given me a dependence on God mm. that I think is so necessary at the midpoint of your life, wow. because it would be easy to coast out with like yeah. all the stuff you know how to do and you spent 20, 30 years perfecting it. But then God asks you to do something that you're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. I'm thankful for it. I think it's been good for me. And pastoring an international church single. I mean, that would add, that's another whole <laughs> area. What are some of the joys and challenges of that? Uh, that's a question I get asked a lot, actually. Okay. And I, I, I'm thankful for it. Um, as I said, for me, I feel like everybody else made a big deal about me being single and even mm. me being female. Okay. When I first kind of uh, officially became installed and everything, my Europe colleagues were like, this is groundbreaking. Oh, you know, and I was like, is it? Because I, I'm just living my life. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how not to be single because mm. that's the only way I've ever ministered, no matter sure. where I was or what I did. Yeah. So there's there are times where I feel like like this kind of feminism thing gets attached to me that I did not seek. You know, mm. I was not trying to break ground and, and be a, a single female pastor, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, to somehow carry the banner for my sisters. Right. It, it really just was 
the Lord led in this opportunity and I said yes. So really it's about obedience rather than I think being single or female. Now, does it have its challenges because I'm one person? Yes. Somebody asked me recently, what's the hardest thing about taking a church that someone else planted? Hmm. I think they were looking for answers about, you know, having to clean up somebody else's mistakes or, you know, those kind of things. But honestly, I said the hardest thing for me to follow someone else is that there were two of them and one of me. And I don't have the personality of either of those people. So I I cannot be what people sometimes expect. You know, well, my my previous pastors, both of them, did this for me. And and I'm one person, so I don't have that opportunity. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are times where even for like baptisms, almost always I have a guy with me there just so that I have a second person that helps me lift these people out of the water when they're bigger or heavier than I am. Um, So you have to think through some, some things creatively when you realize, Hey, I'm one person, but ultimately all that really matters was the obedience factor, not the marital status. Yeah. So, so Ari, you're, you're, uh, we're similar. We're type A people. We, we're doers. We like to get things done. We, oh, yeah. so how have you navigated that tension of, I mean, that's clarifying for me, for you to say I'm one person, but mm-hmm. I know people, I would just say for me, um, you know, I'm a doer. So I would try to want to do it all. I'd want to try to be two people, but you seem to have come to a great peace and a great understanding that I'm one person. Could you just share a little bit of the journey on how you got there? Because I think that's that's valuable, insightful for everyone, whether you're single, married, whatever. That this is across the realities of trying to be two people when you're you're, you're one. Um, will you share a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, I think that there are a couple of factors in that. One of them is you have to have a very strong identity of who you are and what God's called you to be, Okay. because that's going to ground you in that sense that we always have to shift over to what people want. Oh, mm. this, and, and in my case, because I hadn't previously been a pastor, yeah. there was always that element of, well, am I, is this what a pastor is supposed to do? Am I not doing this right because I'm not Very doing true. what that person did? So yeah. is this a job requirement or is this just that other person's personality? Hmm. And at that point, at the end of the day, I have to say, but I'm not them. So knowing who I am hmm. has been a big part of it. Now, like you said, we're type A people. I, I didn't have to go too far to know who I am because I'm <laughs> kind of like that. Um, I have friends that just struggle a lot more with with personal insecurity or or their calling or or leadership ability. And in my case, I'm actually really thankful. I have kind of a hard skin and a lot of stuff just rolls off of me. And that's by the grace of God, because once you're in the pastorate, like everybody has an opinion. I have one <laughs> lady that literally stands outside the door every Sunday and tells me everything I did wrong oh, every wow. Sunday. And because I'm me, I just am like, thank you so much. God bless you, sister. I'm really glad you let me know that. And then I can walk away and be like, whatever. Like, because I I have that kind of personality and not everybody does. But I do think it's worth the sole effort of really coming back to who did God create me to be? And that's not about self. I feel like in our culture right now, everything is about self. And it's not really about me being self-actualized and who it's knowing God created me with the skills and abilities to further his kingdom in this way. And so I need to stick to that and really not try to do what God created Aaron Santmeyer to do and not have that jealousy sometimes of like, but I see everybody else doing, it's like, no, God called you to this. I think that that is part of it. I also think that 
you know, learning to do it alone and, and being okay to say, I am one person comes mm. with experience and, mm. and probably burnout mm. and made mistakes along the way yeah. where you realize you are trying to carry the load of three people and it's not physically possible. And now you were, you know, collapsed on the couch. Right. And in my case, because I'd been here already like seven or eight years before I kind of came into this position, I had a team of people around me that I already had vulnerability and trust with. And honestly, they keep me like, literally there are times where they message, what have you eaten today? You know, when did you sleep? Because they know my tendency, especially yeah. if there's like big need at the church, something is yeah. happening that's intense. Yeah. They know that I will just, you know, kill myself to try to solve it. And so they're kind of the ones that are like, Hey, you need to slow down. And I think for all singles, you need those voices in your life because you don't have a spouse to say, Hey, you're overtired. Yeah. You know, I think you need to go to bed early tonight or I, you know, I'll fix dinner because you need to rest. You don't have that in your, in your home. Probably mm. you need the voices around you that will look out for you. And in my case, I was thankful and I am thankful to have that team that reminds me I am only one person. Vulnerability and trust. You mentioned that, um, man. I'm take. I sent you some questions that we would go on. I'm taking you a different direction. So, <laughs> not trying a different direction. But I, this, did you talk the inquisitive nature of me once to because that those two words you said them real quick. Um, but those are real big words. And honestly, I think the majority of people want people in their life that they have vulnerability with and trust. But you said it real quick. I have vulnerable trust. Is that something you developed over time? Any wisdom or insight for, once again, this is not just singles, but this is everyone, having those relationships that you have that vulnerability and trust in. And then what the other thing I heard you say was they're helping hold you accountable to, or they're pushing back on or, or trying to, yeah, in that life. So any thoughts on that? Vulnerability, accountability, how did you get there on that and the importance it plays in your life? Well, when I first started out in ministry, being kind of the go-getter, um, I... I, I did not develop those things. Um, okay. I had friends cause I'm, yeah. I'm an extrovert and I like people and, you know, so I always had friends. And in the first few years of ministry, the, the location I was serving in the Middle East was, you know, we had a ton of roommates. Right. I think I had like nine different roommates my first year on the field. It was a revolving <laughs> door. So I had people in my life. I was sure. not isolated, but yeah. I was not really making myself vulnerable to them and opening myself up to, mm their input and feedback. Yeah. And that came over time. Um, in my first full-time term, I was in France and I actually yeah. was extremely isolated there and went through a depression. It was really the hardest thing I'd faced in ministry up until that point because it was, you know, anti, like I, I am not a depressive kind of person. So it was like, what is happening to me right now? And, and I really understood at that point and, and got help and stuff that a lot of it had to do with just the isolation factor. Mm. And I hadn't spoken. There was a, when I contacted member care at that point, I hadn't spoken English to anyone in nine months outside of my family on the phone wow. because I had absolutely no one there with whom I could be real. I was on, you know, yeah. all the time in this other language, in this other culture. Right. And, and it took a toll on me, not so much because the French language was hard. It, it wasn't. At that point, I could speak just about perfectly because I had a lot of practice. <laughs> the problem was that I was not 
vulnerable really with yeah. anyone. There was no one that was kind of on the inside that I could mm-hmm. actually be like, this is what's really happening. And I couldn't do that with my family because mm-hmm. they're in the States and they, and they don't want to hear me cry about how, how hard this is. Their answer is come home. And that's you know, <laughs> not the answer for us. So True. I realized at that point, you know, you have to create this. It's mm-hmm. not just going to automatically come to you. People True. don't just show up and say, I'm here to be your accountability partner yeah. in your, your inner circle. You know, right. that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and over the years, as I've gotten older, there were people that were significant in my life and then they passed away. Yeah. And so it, it kind of gets more limited. Yeah. So you have to be all the more purposeful in choosing. I must have people around me that I can be who I really am for the good mm. and the bad and the ugly. I have to know that they love me enough to keep serving with me, even if I admit the worst parts of myself. And also like, are we really hiding those parts? I think we delude ourselves sometimes that we're (laughs) showing people. I mean, my team knows my, my qualities that aren't admirable. They, they see them already. I think that I'm hiding them. I'm not. So it helped me to kind of be like, no, you have to choose that. And like I said, that is a singles issue because we don't have it elsewhere. If you get married, especially young, you have a voice in your life that tells you, the good and the bad, yeah. you know, sometimes at the top of their lungs yeah. <laughs> sure. things yeah. that, that you may not like about yourself or want to accept. And then eventually you'll have kids that get old enough to right. be like, mom, why mm-hmm. do you always, and, <laughs> and you hear those things and think, wow, am I like that? Yeah. Do yeah. I? Yeah. But you have that, that feedback, but a single doesn't. And the older they get on the mission field, especially you tend to have a better budget. You live more alone. Hmm. You, begin to tighten in because your, your job or your life circumstances are changing. And so that's all the more important to say, no, I must have a voice that tells me these things in my life or I won't ever develop. Yeah. That's great. And that's, man, that's wisdom Um, for everyone listening in. Uh, I think, like you said, it's more accentuated if you're Mm -hmm. serving solo or serving single the same time it's a challenge for all of us um not is because you know i'm 47 and you're right you get your you're obviously i'm married but your your circle does get smaller and smaller and i think in leadership um it it gets smaller and smaller um as far as when you're leading you know that 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 network of people gets smaller and smaller and you have to be intentional or you can become very isolated and very lonely um very quick and and not necessarily do that intentionally, but end up there. And then, so you have to be intentional about it not happening. So, so missionaries, our lives are full of transitions. You, you've mentioned, you know, that you served in four different places. You've talked about transitioning from now being the lead pastor at, at the church. Um, transitional times, what have you found some uniqueness maybe for those serving single, those serving solo? What, how do they balance that? And then we're going to talk about some ways um, how the, yeah. People can be there for them. Well, it's kind of like we're never, ever done with transitions. Um, (laughs) You know, literally, I feel like you get out of one and you're about to go into another. And that is our life, you know, in ministry. Um, But it also can become a little bit of an unhealthy pattern if you're not doing it well. And if you're not taking care to, to be purposeful in that as well. 
Um, I think that for singles, the transitions we go through aren't really different from the married transitions. You know, you're waiting for your visa, you're getting your stuff, you're raising your funds. You're, right. Those are all the same job description, but you are handling that weight alone. Hmm. Um, and that's where the I am one person comes yeah. back in. Like I'm the only one to make phone calls, do thank you cards, handle the finances, right. you know, pack the bags, weigh the bags, right. you know, any of that. Like it's me. Yeah. Um, so I think that for singles, especially like those transitions cost a little bit more maybe hmm. because it reminds you again, it's just me again. Here yeah. I am. And I don't know if I'm doing it well. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Yeah. Um, I had a, a young woman that met with me several months ago and she had just gotten back to the U.S. to do her, you know, her second time in itineration. The first one was just to get to the field. Yeah. And now she was doing the second. And, you know, it changes every time you do it one. Does. Like it, it, it's it not does. the same. Yeah. And so, you know, we met and she just looked at me over the lunch and she said to me, I am like hemorrhaging money right now. Mm. I had to buy a car. I had to buy stuff to like set up an apartment. I had to buy. She was like, I, I went through like $10,000 in a month. What is wrong with me? And I was like, well, that that's just furlough. Like that's not you. <laughs> and so for her, she was like, oh, I thought that I was just a bad money manager. And I was like, well, I mean, maybe you are. I don't, I don't know all your finances, right. but I also know that's furlough. When you yeah. first get to the States, like yeah. you're instantly deluged with like yeah. all the things that you just need. And you're running yeah. to Walmart like every day yeah. because you need something else. So I, I think for her, it was so freeing to say those things out loud and then hear, no, that's normal. Yeah. So I think for the transition, sometimes we're thinking, what is wrong with me that I can't do this well, or mm. that I'm not handling this better. Yeah. But nobody handles that. Like, it's hard for all of us. So yeah. I think that singles need to hear other singles and resource one another yeah. to say, hey, it's hard for all of us. But here's what I learned from it. You know, here are some tips and tricks that helped me. And that just comes into creative problem solving. You've got mm. the situation. You're going to transition whether you like it or not. How can you get other people to help meet those needs? Or how mm. can you prepare yourself in advance with like the reentry programs, for example, yeah. or, you know, other things that member care makes, makes available to us. Um, yeah. Use that coaching. I actually get coaching from one of my colleagues here in Europe, Joy West. Yes. Um, and she's been amazing because what she does is just, you know, I'll say, well, this is what I'm struggling with right now. I've got this kind of problem. I can't figure it out. And she just helps me yeah. kind of unpack it and look at it from different angles and come up with solutions. And that is gold. Yeah. And, and really in the transitions is when I feel like that's been the most effective for me because that's when I tend to get the most stuck. Hmm. You know, I think some things you mentioned early on are dependence on God. You said this transition mm -hmm. has made you realize this dependence. And I think um, for me in my life, I recognize that sometimes um, mentally, but my actions don't necessarily play out that way. And what I've heard you say about asking for creative ideas, having those conversations, recognizing that it takes, we all evolve, we have to do this together. Um, so right. how do you push, how do people, how do you get the courage to ask those questions? Hey, as you said, I'm spending all this money because that takes, you talking about people's finances. That's, you know, for a lot of people, at least my part of the West Virginia world, man, it's, it's sensitive subject. You're going to talk about finances, you know what I mean? But that to push through that courage, because if you don't, you end up isolated. So how, how have you found that courage to have those conversations, put, have a coach that takes courage to reach out and say, Hey, I want to process 
this with you. I want that person in my life. How have you found the courage in that to to reach out, do those things rather than the easy thing would say, hey, I can do this all myself. I don't need other people and I'm just I'm going to, you know, get through it. So anyway, the, the courage to do that. Well, I think, like I said before, some of it's been experience, um, not having done it, (laughs) helped me kind of really see you're going to have to do this. But I think that when you look at the, like, I'm a forward thinker just by nature. But if you are looking at the next 50 years or however many years you want to do on the mission field, I want to do 50. Um, So when I look at that, I think, wow, if that's where I'm headed as a destination, what do I need to get there? Hmm, And I cannot, I cannot do that alone. Um, so in that case, when you start to think strategically, you know, what do I need to get there? Then the, the right relationships, feedback and mentorship, that's going to help me develop all of those things are going to be a part of that. Um, and so that courage, maybe just, maybe it just is like the expediency of saying, Hey, I need to get this. If if yeah. you wanted to lose a hundred pounds or you wanted to, you know, become like a bodybuilder, yeah. you would sit down and create some type of a plan yeah. where you're sure. like, I need to make these decisions and I need to limit this in my life, or I need to add this other thing like good habits into my life to be able to get to that. And I think that ministry is the same. A single yeah. needs to sit down and say, who are the voices that I need mm-hmm. to hear? Hmm. Who are the people that will facilitate the open door for me? And not every leader does, not every mentor does. So trying to choose this person advances me and helps me get where I need to go. Um, This other person is maybe good, like a, like a booster shot. Like they'll give me the, you know, I can have coffee with them. They'll make me laugh. They'll make me feel energized, but you know, and, and I need that too. But then there are others that are like, yeah, these are the deep soul kind of people. And so I think for me, I don't know if it was courage or maybe just kind of that realization. I've got to have other people that do know how to do this, that have gone the distance. And then you do have to push and that's probably not courage either. I'll be honest. That's probably just tenacity to be (laughs) like, Hey, somebody listen to me, please. I need help. But when you find even that one person who's like, okay, I'm going to start paying attention. I'm going to start meeting with you, or I'm going to start, you know, pouring into you. Hey, that's, that's huge. It doesn't have to be 10, you know, one or two, but you might have to knock on a lot of doors to get to those. Yeah. Team leaders, you mentioned leaders and team leaders, uh, organizational leaders, and we're, we're talking beyond because there's people listening to this podcast that aren't missionaries. They're not. Um, yeah. So what can what are the ways that you found that leaders have helped you or you would give advice for those that are serving single? How can leaders come alongside and not in, unintentionally? You know, I, I was in a conversation with someone uh, a few weeks, a few months back, and Something that I had done myself when it came around communion and the way we organize communion, to me, I thought it was like the natural flow. This is the way we're going to do it, only to find out that unintentionally I was called, you know, it caused pain and hurt in somebody's life that I just didn't, I didn't know. And so sometimes you don't know. So anyway, I'm just asking for leaders that are listening in, um, how can they facilitate, encourage be an advocate for rather than unintentionally hurt. Um, does that make, is that a fair question? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, team development is like a huge thing uh, okay. for, 
for everything that I've done in ministry. Um, it, it is a natural passion for me, but it's also like the focus of my doctorate. You know, okay. I, I believe in strategic leadership. And for me, that strategic issue sure. um, to be able to look at the people that, you know, we're praying, God send forth laborers, you know, we right. get these people. And sometimes you look at them and think, but this one, God, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> why this one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then you have to kind of be like, okay, from a strategic standpoint, what does this person have to offer? What do I have to offer them? And how is this meant to be God's plan for this country or for our lives individually? You know, yeah. we're, we're on a corporate and an individual level at that point. Yeah. So talent development is just a huge strategic issue. And I think what happens, and this has been part of what motivated me to start the, the Serving Solo program, you yes. know, that, that kind of piloted in Europe and hopefully is going to go wider, yeah. was it's not that singles are being uh, abused or, you know, that we're like, we need free rights. We're, right. we're not, you know, we're, we're not doing that. The issue was just that there are times of unconscious or unintentional bias that's just built into human nature. It, mm. it just, you know, it, it is right. <laughs> like I, I, you just then have to question, wow, do I have that bias and to, and to mm. what extent? So I think for singles and team leaders, you have a couple of issues. One is access. Okay. You know, you may be a different gender from that leader yeah. that automatically limits access. It, yeah. it, it, it's not because they don't like you. It, it's not personal. It's just, you know, psychological, like there's right. a limit there. So again, we go back to, okay, creative problem solving, then how can we overcome this issue? And that may be a cultural one. How do I meet with this person in a place where we can't be seen together? Sure. How do I invest into somebody, you know, with, with these constraints, you know, yeah. maybe the team leader has a bunch of kids and limited time. And right. so I realize that it's not, this is not a perfect solution, sure. but I think we need to analyze then what is yeah. the access that hmm. I'm giving the singles on my team, it's easy for married people to hang out with married people, especially if they have kids the same age, et cetera. And what happens is it's not intentional, but because you spend so much time with them, you end up talking about work stuff. And and so then you are creating like visions of stuff. And the single on your team is never there for those conversations because it's, it's a, it was initially meant to be social. Um, So these are things that it's just an access question. So you have to kind of figure out what can we do to, to create that access. Um, I was on the field 25 years before a married couple in leadership ever stayed in my own home. Hmm. Every time they came to town, the area directors and things like that, they stayed with the married couples. We had a a death on the field and so many people came into the city for that and there just wasn't room. So, you know, they were like, can you put the area director in your apartment with you? And I was like, absolutely. I would have been happy to do that for years, but it was just never, it it was like a taboo. Yeah. Why? It, you know, him and his wife were there. It wasn't like we were, we were never, it was just... You know, and they even said at the end, wow, we have never, ever stayed in a singles apartment in all the years we've been in ministry. Um, that's an access issue because yeah. you learn about someone on a whole different level oh, and you, for sure. you have deeper conversations and, and then memories that bond you and things like that just from access. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like encouraging team leaders, yeah. not necessarily that you have to reinvent your entire wheel. Right. But be aware if you are providing access to the men on your team, but not the women, the marrieds on your team, but not the singles, you know, the older people on your team, but not the 25 year old. 
those access issues can cross many barriers. That's one. And then there is somewhat of a, a blind bias sometimes that we just, over years of being on the field, the new people come and you got Nancy newbie and you're kind of like, I don't really have time to invest in her because she's going to be here like 10 months yeah. or she's going to be here. Well, you don't really know that. You know, if she has a fun, I went for one year. Hmm. My initial commitment to the Assemblies of God was one year. Yeah. And I renewed that contract six times and then went through the process of being a career personnel. So I think that we often just kind of are like, oh, I don't have time to keep putting into these kids that are 22 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, they if they stay around longer, then I'll invest in them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and that's a subconscious or an unconscious bias that we sometimes have that we have to kind of break down and be like, no, you know, I, I have to still invest into them because again, this is a strategic talent development issue. Yeah. If God brought them here, he wants this ministry to grow exponentially because of them and because of our communal work together. I need to limit whatever it is that keeps me from that yeah. and, and, and see what God wants them to do in this country and then facilitate that, that for them. So I've worked with people from, like I said, all these different countries, lots of different teams. If they don't stay with me, that's okay. I want them to go to Cairo, Egypt and lead a team there. I want yeah. them to go to the hard places beyond what, you know, I, I want them to be pastoring churches in, in Colorado. Right. Yeah, they may only be with me a year, but I want to see that long-term investment in them that somebody else has seen in me and, and pour into it. Good Help word. them get licensed. That's a big one. Yeah. Help them get licensed. Help yeah. them get, you know, if they need further education, yeah. push them a little bit in that. When I was on the field my first year, Ross Byers was who mm. I worked under, and he was the first person to say, do you have your license in your district? It's time for you to get it. He wow. proctored the exam for me. Wow. Uh, you know, that's the kind of leader we all need that says, hey, this, I believe in you to this extent, and I want to help you get to this next level. Wow. Wow. And being that advocate. You mentioned what you're the serving solo, I think you, you called it the program in Europe. Could you share a little bit more about that? That's insightful. Uh, it's one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. But you just share maybe some snippets of it, what's going on, and then um, I'm sure it'll pique uh, all of our interest. I hope so. Um, so, yeah, it actually wasn't intended to be like this, you know, big program. Um, I, I wish that I had that kind of vision to just be like, I'm going to design. <laughs> it actually just started grassroots like so many things do. Yeah. Um, we were about to have an all Europe retreat and somebody said, should we have a mix over the singles? And then the leadership team was like, we ain't touching that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> Literally, I believe those were the words. Um, and so they kind of were like, let's reach out to a few singles and ask them what what do they want? Yeah. So in kind of doing that, Kara, Kara Tyler is our member care rep in Europe. And so she contacted me and some others. And, um, you know, me being me, I, I just took that and ran with it. Um, yeah. And I had to apologize later to Kara because I think I left her behind. And I was like, whoops, I'm sorry. I didn't intend to do that. I just right. got excited. And yeah. I went. Um, so uh, I, I told Kara, it's going to be on my tombstone. She left us all behind. <laughs> because that's like my, my nature was like, whoo. So um, yeah, we, we basically just started kind of like, let's meet once a month to know each other before this retreat. That way you don't walk into a room with like 5,000 strangers that you're like, I don't know who to eat with. I don't know who to sit with. I don't know, you know, and that's how singles feel all the time. They don't come with people that they're automatically going to eat or sleep yeah. or, you know, sit with, you know. Yeah. So 
we thought if we just foster that community a little bit, then they'll know who they can room with or who they can eat with and stuff like that. They'll know these are the book people and the people that jog on the beach in the morning and like find your, your people. So that's what we did. We just started meeting once a month. Then it became a little bit more like official. We're going to meet on the third Monday of every month. Then it became like, and now we're going to have a newsletter that, you know, keeps everybody informed. These were the prayer requests and these were the, and here are resources for you. And it's actually still expanding because we still want to go toward having like live events Hmm. where you know, built into a retreat that's already scheduled. The singles yeah. all show up a day before and do yeah. like an adventure together yeah. to to really build. We know each other. We are a family together. When you have no one else, you yeah. you have us. Hmm. Um, not every single feels that pressure or that that loneliness, but it is also cyclical. You may yeah. not feel lonely right now, but a year from now, your your ministry circumstances may change or and you may go through it at that point. But to have that community there is both, I think, preventive and like interventive at the same time. And that's where serving solo, I, I was like, we're going to call it serving solo. We're going to create this, you know, and it became a program um, thanks to the wonderful efforts of the Europe, uh, the Europe singles. Yeah. And now we are expanding to some of the other regions to be able to say, you know, I, at least I want to kind of help get that ball rolling until the singles of that area can kind of, you know, take the leadership that I feel like God's put on them. Yeah. Um, but eventually, wouldn't it be great to imagine like all the singles of AGWM having like a retreat somewhere or, you know, it to really each other and resource each other across those cultural and, and regional bounds. And it would, I think we would be surprised about the amount uh, or the number oh, yeah. of the, it's, it's when you, it's, it's a large portion of who we are and, mm-hmm. um, and a valuable integral portion of who we are. And so I think it, it, you're right. I think it would be exciting to see, exciting to see. Ariel, I've asked you a lot of questions. I didn't send you questions about, but I do want to ask you this. Is there something I'm asking questions from a married guy to a single lady? Is there a question you think, hey, he should have asked this or this would have been good to talk about? Because I'm admitting I obviously don't know everything. Um, don't know a lot of things. Um, is there something you think, hey, that would have been valuable to talk about that I didn't bring up? Or one of the um, ones I sent you that you think, hey, yeah. we should have talked about that. One of the things you you sent me was about misconceptions. Okay. And that was a big one. Um, and one that I put a lot of thought into, like, wow, how do I limit it? <laughs> no, I, I'm kind of kidding. But but I think there are like a lot of misconceptions. And I don't ever want to speak to all of them or for all of them. Because right. one of the dangers of this is some single right now is listening to this podcast saying, like, I don't have any of those problems. Like, she's crazy. So, you know, I, right. I don't speak for every single in AGWM at all. I think there are misconceptions on both sides. And so Mm. I think it would be a disservice to not mention, you know, as we're talking to team leaders and things that they need to do for singles, let's also remember the singles and the things that they may have misconceptions about as well. It it goes on both sides. There are myths that we Mm. accept as truth Mm. and then live out the rest of our career kind of telling ourselves. One of them for singles, especially on the on the home side, is this idea that if God has called you, wait until you get married and then follow God's call. Um, okay. That's kind of espoused by pastors, by leaders, sometimes by district mission directors right. who literally tell people, you yeah. know, your best success on the field comes from, you know, being married. So just wait yeah. and and look for that until God provides it and then go on the field. And I actually think that that is a myth. Hmm. Um, I, 
I think that putting any condition on your obedience to God Hmm. is dangerous. And that condition may look different for everybody. Um, But I think for singles, often that condition is, I can't do this myself. I have to wait until I have someone else. But the problem with that is, is the faulty theology that comes into, because this other person is going to like make me Hmm. a minister or make me worthy of this calling or make me, you know, and that is not the case. You as a married man understand that. Also have two children that are nearing adult age, you know, so you understand that we cannot have a theology that says this other person is going to open all the doors for me. And then it's all going to be like correct because I I found that person. And so I think we need to be careful, even in in any type of leadership, if we're telling people, wait until Hmm. you have a spouse and then go into ministry, um, that, yeah, any any condition that goes on to your obedience, whatever it might be. And so for singles, even sometimes they're on the field and they're still kind of thinking, but I'm not going to go into the career track because... I, I'm going to wait until, yeah. and then they're like, you know, 45 and they're still an MA or, you know, they're, and that's the kind of thing where it's like, listen, you, you, if this is what God wants for your life, follow that wholeheartedly. Mm. And he will, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things get added in. So I think that that's one myth. I also, I also think from the team standpoint, this is actually just research from like the world. This isn't Christian. This is literally organizational research that says single workers are seen as more immature, less serious, and less responsible than their married colleagues. Wow. That, mm. That's just like a fact. Mm. You know, it is a perception. Yeah. Now, I think individually people are like, oh, well, but I know so-and-so is not irresponsible. I know Ariel's not, you know, I know this, but but in general, yeah. like just when they're questioned in like blind surveys and stuff, they just have this, especially, this is sad, especially men. Hmm. Men who are unmarried are seen as less serious. He's a playboy. He's hmm. picky. He doesn't, you know, like there's a lot of these perceptions that are in the back of the mind that we don't even realize. Now you bring that into ministry. You bring that into evangelical Christianity, where there's often stigmas about people who who aren't married, both men and women. You know, what is wrong with them? Um, <laughs> so we need to be careful about those myths that we may have and kind of get past just automatically assuming that, you know, where you see this most is when somebody starts to date or says they're going to get married. And what's the first question people ask? Oh, what are you going to do now? Hmm. Uh, why, why would I not continue doing what I'm already doing? Well, because <laughs> you're getting married. And it's like, well, the bank manager didn't stop working at the bank when he got married and the yeah. ER doctor didn't stop working at the hospital. Like, you know, yeah. But we have this this assumption that when singles get married, then they they stop ministry because they were only doing it temporarily until they found someone. Mm-hmm. Um, that is Man, a big insane. myth. Very I think insane. singles lie to themselves as well. Hmm. Another big myth I see with them, and this is something that I've talked about in Serving Solo, is the myth of if I had a spouse, I wouldn't have these problems. Hmm. Um, I remember very clearly this one day I was in my apartment and something went wrong with my, my dishwasher and like water was going everywhere. And I'm trying to like, you know, I'm up to my ankles and trying to figure out how do I turn the water off? Where's the main valve? And you know, I don't, I don't know anything about that. So I'm trying to do this and I'm, I'm just so mad because the washers, you know, and I just remember, I literally was like, God, if I had a husband, this wouldn't be happening to me. 
And, you know, that did not solve the water running everywhere. So it was kind of a useless point. But also God kind of was like, Ariel, do you think that married people don't have appliances that break? And do you think that every man in the world knows how to fix them? I mean, let's just be Aaron, honest. I can tell you I don't. So that would, it would not matter if I was there. Exactly. So I think we we build this myth sometimes in my mind. And married people do this too on the opposite. Like if if I wasn't in this situation, everything would be better. And it's easy for singles to just hang that all on a spouse. If I had a wife or if I had a husband, I wouldn't have these issues. But that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And you and say, uh, I, I might actually have someone that knows how to fix the washing machine, but also I might have someone that thinks he does and makes it all worse. That's right. <laughs> you have a guy like me that could help you with your rash, but not help you with your uh, dishwashing machine. So there you go. So sure. we just, I think there are myths that we have to be aware and we have to bring those to truth, whether we're single or married in leadership or not, we have to kind of put everything back when, when we see those stereotypes or misconceptions, bring those back to truth. Yeah. And offer that to the Lord so that he reveals to us, hey, wow, I this isn't accurate. And I need to make my decisions on things that are true. Good word. Good word. Ariel, will you pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. Lord, we thank you so much for all of the people who are on your field right now serving solo. We thank you for the ones who are in isolated circumstances, who feel alone every day. And we thank you for the ones that are surrounded by people and thriving because they have found grace. Lord, I thank you for the ones who are with other organizations that that don't have member care that offers them help and that feel even more challenged than we do at times. Father, I pray right now that your hand of mercy would be on every worker that's on your foreign field, the married ones that are trying to do this better and, and improve things with their single teammates, and the single ones who are also trying to serve you in obedience and we, we pray for grace for all of us. We all need that grace. Lord, we pray for those who are listening right now who may not even be on the field. They may be in other circumstances, but they've heard something today that that they feel that they identify with. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continually bring all of these emotions and these questions and these issues right back to your throne so that we can hear your voice in all of this that tells us this is the way, walk in it. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us, as we walk out that that journey with you in our ministry and in our calling, that you would just bring us closer and closer to you and that it brings you glory every day. And I pray blessing on Aaron and Heather, on their family and ministry, on this podcast and those who hear it, so that they also can bring more glory to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 